Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. It has been an incredible month. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I've loved these testimonies of just hearing people talk about... Sorry? Hey. I love you all. Wow. This is such a great place to be today. Thank you. Uh, wow. Uh, I'm going to try not to get overwhelmed with emotions. Uh, I am 60 after all today, and your emotions, you know, once you get older, yeah. Um, it's so good to be here. Uh, we wanted you to hear this morning what God has really done, and that is that God is giving people an, uh, an extra measure of peace, uh, an extra measure of his presence, because, because you have pursued him with extra measure. And uh, really, uh, I don't. I appreciate so much, Anna Lois, your your concern for losing that piece. Where is Anna Lois? Oh, she's working with Sunday school uh, this morning. Um, so I hope she has peace there. She's working with kids. <laughs> but this peace is something that God continues to give us as we continue to pursue Him, and it's not something that we need to to be afraid of of, of losing. Um, I, I believe that. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, for many of you, uh, this month, you have made decisions that uh, the, you're not stopping. You're, you want to continue to experience this presence of God in a way that you haven't maybe before. And so you're, you're continuing. Some of you have told me that you're continuing your fast. Others of you have uh, decided to at least you know, set aside a day of the week uh, to, to continue this pursuit of God. I recall uh, when I first met uh, my, my, my future wife, Dana, uh, I've only had one wife, uh, and I, uh, when we first started getting to know each other, we never wanted our time, when, if we ever got to be together, we didn't want our time to end, and so we would talk to each other, uh, in, you know, th just continual conversations, and uh, w one of our very first dates, we started at a, at a restaurant, and uh, then we moved from that restaurant uh, to another restaurant that was open 24 hours and so we continued to hang out until about, I think it was about three in the morning, and we thought, you know what, we have a day planned for tomorrow too, so we probably need to go to bed. And so I took her back to her hotel, she went to bed. I, so three hours of sleep, picked her up early, we went out to a, a gardens that was in the town that I lived in, and we continued talking, and I think that next night we got about three hours of sleep only, and then she went back. But it was in those times together we realized we didn't want our time to end. And uh, uh, without giving you the whole story, eventually we decided, you know what, we, we probably just need to be together the rest of our lives. You know, we, we enjoy spending time together. Uh, so why don't we just make this official and, and tie the knot? Um, marriage, as many of you know, is not always easy, uh, but it's worth it. Uh, our relationship is closer now than it was on those first dates that we had uh, where we were couldn't get enough of each other and talking, 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 talking. And uh, now we still love to be together all the time. Uh, it's, 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 it's a really good deal. Um, but, but marriage takes work. And um, we, we've, gosh, we communicate perfectly today. Uh, it doesn't take any effort whatsoever. 
this incredible thing that happens in marriage over time is that all of a sudden you are able to understand each other perfectly. You just, you're un no, you are always, always investing and spending time with your spouse so that you can get to know them even better and realize that there's still parts of your spouse that you haven't discovered it, and that's why you invest time. It's not always easy, uh, but it's always worth it. I think, I think our relationship with God is similar to that. The Bible talks about how that we only see him now uh, sort of in a fuzzy mirror. Uh, we don't really see him as well as we're going to at some point when we see him face to face. So communication with him takes effort, it takes time, it takes investment. I want to ask you this morning to consider this thought that possibly uh, you need to just remain with him, uh, even though you know it's going it's, it's to take more work to get to know him better. John 15, verse 4 is our main text this morning. I want you to see this, and it says this, uh, John 15, the words of Jesus Christ. He says, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. The time of fasting is, uh, for some of us, maybe is something that we decide, okay, I'm going to spend this month with God. And then once the fast is over, uh, we, have, we all can, can experience this temptation of thinking, well, that was a great month, God. It was great to be with you, but now I'm done. I'm going to take a break. It, it's an interesting thought that we would enjoy God so, so very much, but then feel like we needed a break from God afterwards. I want to invite you this morning to consider that the fast is just one pathway to which we experience the presence of God. And that although the fast is over, God is not inviting us to, to stop our relationship with Him. Matter of fact, He's asking us to go deeper with Him. I feel very strongly this morning that I need to remind us and me, all of us this morning, that the invitation is not to take a pause now from this intimacy that you had, but it is to go even deeper. It may not be just fasting. It may be other things that you need to do, but where you invest time with the Father because Jesus says, hey, wasn't it great? Continue to stay with me. Remain with me. The idea in this passage in John 15, is, is in the context of a family meal. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He's about to be crucified. He's about to, to, he's about to, to, to end that moment, that community, with a violent, violent end on the cross. And he's telling his disciples, remain in me. This is about to come. I'm about to die, but the Spirit is coming. Don't be troubled. This was the context of this conversation. And you see this in John 12 through. You see this Jesus leading them up to the point of, really, I'm about to die, but I'm about to resurrect. And the Spirit of God, who will be with you even more closely than I am with you right now, is about to be walking with you in a much more intimate way. So remain. Remain. Just remain. Really, the invitation of Jesus Christ is not that you would occasionally avoid food for a fast, but that you would become his BFF. Does anyone know what a BFF is? I'm not even sure that's a popular term we use anymore, BFF. Best friends forever. Uh, you know. Yeah. 
That's, I, I believe, what BFF means. But Jesus is inviting us to into this close relationship with Him. And, and I realize by saying that Jesus wants to be our BFF, that might offend some of you. I understand that because maybe our perspective of God is more of, you know, of, of high and lifted up and away from us. And this thought of becoming close is something foreign in our thinking. But truly, Jesus invites us to a relationship that is even more intense and more intimate than my marriage. And that's what Jesus invites us into. Romans, uh, John 15, verse 4, remain in me, is in the context of the whole chapter. And I, I realized this morning that whenever Jesus spoke this to his disciples, uh, he was speaking it in the full context of the chapter and in the context of the other chapters that uh, preceded it and that followed it. And Jesus did not pause at each verse to explain each verse. So what I want you to do this morning as we continue is if you can, to pull up John 15, Maybe if you have it electronically or if you have it in a paper Bible. This is an interesting artifact that it's called the Bible. It's in paper. If you have one, uh, turn, turn there in your Bible uh, to John 15. And just sort of as I go through verse by verse here, walk with me. We're going to go pretty fast through the passage because I feel like this is best seen as a whole instead of in chunks. But just to give you context of when Jesus is saying, remain in me, I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. But John 15 begins with verse 1, of course, that says, I am the grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. So context. Jesus making this enormous statement that's saying, I know your culture believes that you are, you as a culture, the Jewish people believe that you are the chosen of God. And that uh, the, the symbol of, of that picture of them being Jews was the picture of a, 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 a vineyard. It was a picture of a grapevine. Uh, matter of fact, on the, on the cover of the, on the front door of the temple, there was a golden uh, vine that was imprinted on the door. And uh, so this is a very important uh, visual uh, metaphor for, for, for who they were. Uh, it was well known that if you wanted status in a community that you would actually give, donate gold to be uh, given to add maybe a, a cluster of grapes onto the vine, or and this would be uh, in honor of your family on the front door of the temple. Uh, others would give enough just for a single grape, but it would be a gold grape that was stuck to the door in honor of this family. The Jewish people saw themselves as this, this core people, the chosen people of God. That they were the vine, they were the ones, they were the chosen, the anointed, the special chosen people of God. That was their cultural identity. So when Jesus says here, I am the true grapevine, uh, he was shooting a shot over the bow of the ship to say, guys, it's not you, but it's me. I'm really the source of everything, not you, not your culture, not your people. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Verse 2, he says, He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. This was a statement, not that if we give our life to Christ that we're going to lose our salvation. That's not what verse 2 is about, but this is a statement of him saying that the Jewish people were not truly his children unless they had given their lives to Christ. That's what this statement is. There's too many other 
passages in Scripture that would say that once we become a child of God, that no one is able to take us away from being His child. So when you read verse 2, just be careful that you don't put yourself in that place. If you, verse 3 verse three is in just a moment. But look, look. let me give you some, some rationale and some reasons here for this in the context of Scripture. John 10 says this, uh, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can do what? Snatch them away from me. There's John 17, verses 11 through 12. Uh, it's the incredible prayer of Jesus to His Father before, right before He was crucified and just saying, Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I'm coming to You, Holy Father. You have given Me Your name. Now protect them by the power of Your name so that they may be united just as we are. You could argue here very strongly that, that God answers the prayers of His Son. If God is praying very specifically, protect them. Protect them so that they will not be removed from me. We can, we can be sure that, that God is going to answer the prayer of His Son, Jesus. Once we become His child, God is able to hold us into that. Luke 22. The assurance, again, here, uh, of God's protection. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me, again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus, very aware with Simon Peter that he would reject him, but at the same time knew that he would be back and he would be restored. Jesus is able to hang on to us. When you see verse 2, be careful that you don't place that unfairly to your situation as a child of God. And, and it, just in case the disciples had this doubt, John 15 verse 3 comes around. Here we go. What does it say? You have already been what? You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. I believe this verse suggests very strongly that these disciples that he was speaking to in that moment were his children. He said, you've already been pruned. You are already part of the vine. You belong to me. That's why he follows it up in John 15, verse 4, with, you're part of me, so remain in me. Stay here. Remain. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5 says, yes, yes, in case you had any doubt, yes, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce fruit much fruit. And I wanted to know if this morning, if you would say this last sentence with me, and I'll, I'll begin here. One, two, three, four, apart from me, you can do nothing. I wonder if this nothingness, this understanding that away from God, we can do nothing is really part of your understanding of your new cultural identity in Christ. Do you wake up every morning realizing that you are absolutely unable to do anything without the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. That's our new reality. Whether we embrace it or not, the fact is, is that we can do nothing without Him. Yes, the fast is over for now. But we can still do nothing without Him. Church, I, I invite you to consider becoming 
the BFF of Jesus. He invites us into this relationship. I'm afraid, though, that our own worldviews that we live with, our spiritual worldview is, is tainted by, by the, the, the context of culture that we've grown up in. As a Western person, as an American, uh, I grew up with this worldview that God is way up away from me. We actually sing songs and we teach this idea that God is up, up there. Uh, we even have vernacular uh, in, in, our, in our society and culture of talking, referring to God as who? The man upstairs. And then but when we look at the world that we live in, we interpret the world not from the perspective of a spiritual perspective, but we see the world from science. We approach the, the physiological world, this world, as, as just merely matter and science. And, and that's where we park. And so then there's this middle area that we live in, the area that we live in, uh, where we think it's, uh, it's separate from the spiritual realm that is above us, and we are above the scientific world that is below us. And we're in this middle area of, of, of life. And so we try to make decisions based on that. It's very interesting how my culture responds to this view of the spiritual. We often reject the authority and the reality of God's spirituality and impact on our lives. So we reject this because essentially, if you are a believer today and this is your worldview, it's possible that at some point in your life you had a spiritual experience where you needed, felt like you needed to respond to God and to say, okay, I'm going to give you my life. And so you've actually prayed a prayer, Lord, please come and save me. And uh, we can point, maybe even mark it on our calendars, that this day I gave my life to Christ. I am now a child of God. But essentially what we've done after that for many of us we basically shook the Father's hands, thank you for salvation, I'll see you again after I die. And we don't live in this constant reality that the, the Spirit of God is here with us at all times and that we need to invest in Him and that we need Him for every single part of our lives. And so two things happen with, with, with my kind of background of cultural view. Number one is that we reject, he's, he, he stays very distant to us, so we reject him, but we also reject science. We reject, we reject this world here, and we, our society, you see this at large, our society has decided that real truth, true science, real understanding comes within us as individuals. Our response in this gap here is to worship self. And we become the, the, the translators of our reality. We believe we have a personal truth that is true, even though it's not really true. And that we talk about the truth within us. You familiar with this ideology in our world today? We even believe that we can reject science. We can reject scientific fact. It's ironic that because of this gap in our worldview, we worship ourselves and we reject, we reject God and we reject logic. It's, it's a crazy place to be in. It's not a safe place. But two-thirds of the world's population thinks differently than, than my cultural background. 
I would say at least two-thirds of the population of the world believes in a constant spiritual reality. So whereas my, my cultural background is more, uh, we move ourselves into sort of an isolated view out of community and we focus on ourselves. The community-driven idea is that these spirits are all around us at all times. And, and the rest of the world outside of my culture uh, believes that these spirits are with them even now, all the time, whether it's ancestors, whether uh, it's, it's just other spirits that they need to. And so, so that paradigm is a world of engaging constantly with these spirits, either trying to befriend them or trying to get wisdom and advice from them through different ways, or just to make sure that we don't make them angry. And so a lot of our cultural uh, response to this view of spirits everywhere, realizing that they live in community with the spiritual realm, is that their life decisions are based on that. And so they spend a lot of their time in fear. They spend a lot of their time just trying to appease these spirits. And they spend a lot of time trying to figure out ways that they can, they can dip into this spiritual reality and hear uh, from these different spirits to give wisdom and direction in their lives. And, and for many of us who are walking between these two worldviews, uh, sometimes still there's this complete focus on self at the same time dipping into these spiritual different realities. And so, so uh, diviners are consulted. Uh, we, uh, you know, all of our different cultures we're part of have these different expressions. We were in Thailand several years ago and we were shocked. This is because it's not culturally a part of our world. But it just surprised to see people dressed in suits and ties walking to work in the mornings and pausing by an enormous idol that's built in the middle of uh, this place. And they give gifts to the idols uh, so that they can appease and, and communicate uh, with these different spirits that they acknowledge to be with them at all times. What is the Christian worldview? What is the accurate spiritual reality that we live in. The Bible tells us that we live in a constant spiritual warfare where, where God the Father is the ultimate victor and who is greater and more powerful than the spiritual reality of Satan that is with us at all times. The Bible would tell us very clearly that we live in a constant spiritual reality. And God invites us to invest in Him so that we can deal with the spiritual reality that is around us at all times of evil that is in constant warfare with us. If you are of a Western mindset where you believe that all that's up here, I invite you to change your worldview to realize that actually it's here and that you are part of it whether you realize it or not. The, the solution is not to worship yourself. The solution is to humble yourself place yourself under the authority of Jesus Christ and experience that spiritual reality. And then and only then will you be able to overcome. Uh, Matthew 16 says this, when Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and what? Follow me. And he goes on to say, in case you have any doubt, if you try to hang on to your life, what will happen? You're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And he goes on to try to motivate people. He says this, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? 
Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their needs. The reality is, is that we were designed to never be away from God. We were designed to be in constant relationship with the God the Father. But because we don't see Him, in a sense, our relationship is a bit handicapped because we don't see Him. And it takes effort to seek after Him and find Him, discover Him. But it's worth it. It's worth it. The scope of this relationship, very quickly, John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and what? It will be granted. This is the scope of this sweet relationship we can have with Jesus Christ. John 15, 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. In Christ, in that relationship, that spiritual connection we have with God, there is much lasting fruit. This is inevitable. This is, this is a byproduct of our relationship with Him that there will be fruit. God has appointed us to bear fruit, not just a character, but also uh, souls, people that we are invested in, that we lead them to faith in Christ. John 15, verses 9 through 12. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. In this BFF relationship with Jesus Christ, we have we experience the love, the same love that Jesus has with his Father, which is extraordinary. It's a it's kind of relationship that's mind-boggling. It's overwhelming. He says that you won't just have joy, you'll have much joy. I love that he quantifies the level of joy that we'll have. God is not saying here, I'm going to give you just a little, little taste of joy. No, no, no. You're going to overflow with joy. That, that's what it means to know me. Overflowing joy. Much joy. Remaining in God's love. And then he goes on to talk about this BFF concept that may be making some of you uncomfortable. Friendship. John 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Then what does he say? You are my friends, if you do what I command. Verse 15, I no longer call you what? Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Whew. Since I have told you everything the Father told me. He goes on to say, listen, I initiated this friendship. I didn't choose, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. My wife likes to tell me all the time that she, she found me first. That she started this relationship. I just give it to her. I'm grateful. I look at our marriage sometimes and I think, I don't know how this happened, but thank you, God. What a, what a gift. What a gift. Jesus chose us, initiated it. He came and pulled us to himself. We see this all through scripture. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That, that's, that's, that's God. He, he's found us all. He's found us all. And he goes on to say, and because of our relationship, you're going to be hated without cause. You will be hated 
without cause because of this relationship. John 15, verse 18 through 25. If the world hates you, remember that it what? Hated me first. The world would love the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. This world would love you. You'd be famous here if you actually belong to this place, but you don't. You, you belong to me. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. This, this narrative, this reality of, of being persecuted for the sake of Christ, this being hated because of the name of Jesus Christ is part of this sweet relationship we have with Jesus Christ that we are going to be hated without cause. We see this in John 16. He keeps talking about it. He says, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith for you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing holy service to God. Wow. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Look at John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. That elusive peace we heard about this morning. Remain in him, the peace will remain. In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The world will continue to be chaotic. The world will continue to have trouble. But Jesus is our peace in the midst of the storm. That's what he invites you and me to. He invites me into that intimacy, that sweetness. I love Allah, her testimony of, you know, we're not looking for what's wrong with me. We just know, we just trust God. Uh, but but that's, that's, man, that's maturity. Our, our lives are, are, are probably not going to be totally resolved to our specifications. Ever. But Jesus has resolved the ultimate problem. Our condition has been resolved. We will see him face to face. Praise the Lord. In his prayer, John 17, Jesus says, I've given them your word and the world, what? Hates them because they do not belong to this world, just as I do not belong to this world. When we follow Jesus, we experience a relationship that is totally worth it. But it comes with real opposition and sacrifice. I have to tell you that I love this about God. It's been pointed out this morning that I had a birthday. <laughs> I'm 60 years old. I gave my life to Christ when I was seven, uh, praying with my mom and dad in our living room. My dad, I'll never forget, I remember, I can still see him today, holding my hands and praying with me in the living room. And that, that launched this relationship with Jesus that continues to this day. We often ask our youth and others to share why they still follow Jesus. I'm going to share that with you this morning. One of the main reasons why I continue to follow Jesus Christ is because Jesus has never lied to me. Never. This honest, repeated word that in this world you will have trouble, you'll be hated without cause. Could Jesus be more honest? Jesus is not saying everything is going to be all right. 
in this world. He never, ever has said that. So when your world falls apart, you really cannot be mad at Jesus because Jesus never told you that or promised that to you. The reason why I love him so much, I do, because he's been so honest with me about the reality of this world. I trust him because he never said it was going to be easy. He promised me, he said over and over again, it's going to be tough. You're actually going to be hated for no reason. <laughs> if that's not honest. Jesus in that relationship invites us to an honest relationship. I call you friends and now I tell you what everything I've heard from the Father. You're my friends. We're BFFs. I'm sharing this honestly with you. It's going to be tough. I love that about Jesus. I can trust him. I can trust Jesus because Jesus has never, ever lied to me. Look, I've had a lot of questions in my 53 years of following Jesus. I really have. It's not always been rosy and perfect and wonderful, just like your lives. But I can tell you, at 60, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Jesus is always there, and I can count on him. He's never lied to me. Absolutely never lied to me. You see this through Scripture. You see other people who follow Jesus Christ talk about this, this need to continue to fight, to know him even deeper, an invitation to sow more deeply into him, to know him better in this chaotic world of trouble. It takes effort. It takes time. In, in that sense, we're, we're somewhat handicapped in our relationship because we don't really see him as clearly as we will someday. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see things imperfectly like, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity that's coming it's not there yet and that I know now is partial and incomplete but then I will know him everything completely just as God knows me completely what I do know is that I don't see him very well right now but I will what I also know is that Jesus has never lied to me he said it's going to be tough here so I can count on God Paul invites us to he uses words like sow into you know like invest deeply plant plant seeds invest in the spirit sow in the spirit Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. These are these directives to invest, to do our best, to be connected to the Spirit in every way that we can. And we see this all through Scripture. Jeremiah 29, even the Old Testament, they knew it took effort. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will what? You'll find me. The condition is wholehearted looking with everything. Look for him and you will find him. Acts 17, when Paul stood before all these leaders at the, at the great Areopagus, uh, he was talking about uh, that, that God is not far. He says, God has placed you in this nation uh, to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of your dwelling. Verse 27, if you see it up there, yes, fantastic. Verse 27, that they should do what? Seek, look for See for God. And, and, and Paul, Paul tries to explain. He says, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. It's this picture of a, a, that we are blind and we're, 
or filling for our glasses or for a flashlight, whatever your context is, but you're looking for him. He says, but do so. Look for him. Whatever it takes. And then Paul assures us, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Fill your way to Jesus. Do whatever it takes. In your limited vision, find him. Philippians 2, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work out your salvation with, with casual approach, with just, you know, no big deal. No, work it out. Do whatever it takes to discover your relationship with God. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, give them my love? All right, maybe you've heard this one. You're talking to a friend and they talk about some other friend and say, hey, give them my best. I love what one comedian says. Is that really your best? <laughs> tell them I said hello. Why don't you tell them hello? We're, we're invited into a deeper step than this casual, flippant way we approach God. God is not far from us, but we need to, with all, of our, with all of our strength, pursue Him with everything. Philippians 3. Again, Paul using these words, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's this idea of straining with all of our minds, this straining, yes, to reach and find God with everything that we have. Fasting is just one phase of this. God invites us into this intimate relationship that cannot stop. Remain in me, he says, remain. Ephesians 3, I fall to my knees, the prayer of Paul is that verse 17 then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong that our strength our peace is that we root deeply in the love of Jesus Christ and Paul prayed that we would that his he who he is praying for would have the strength to be able to take that step of faith and to walk closely with God in the spiritual reality that we live in we are in constant spiritual warfare. That's not going to stop tomorrow. And we can do nothing without Him. Therefore, remain in Him. Do whatever it takes to be God's BFF. That's the invitation this morning. John 15, verse 4. Remain in me. And He says what? I'll remain in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for time. Thank you for testimonies this morning of your peace. Lord Jesus, oh God, we ask that you would uh, strengthen us. Lord, we forgive us for embracing perspectives that are just wrong. Lord Jesus, we want to truly live in the, the spiritual reality of what's truly real. And so God, we come to you. We, we say thank you for choosing us before we chose you, Father.
And we, we commit as a church to continue to pursue you with all of our hearts, to do whatever it takes to have intimacy with you, Father. We love you and we praise you. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's worship together. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you'll join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.